You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church Road and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's Pastor Bob with this week's sermon. What a message. Talks about our God being the one that saves us, that wants us, has a desire for us and desired us enough to send His only begotten Son. It's hard to take in, isn't it? I mean, if, I don't know about you, if you've ever thought of it this way, if I were to write the story that God has written, I would probably write it differently. I would probably write it in such a way that it would not just catch the attention of, of a people 2,000 years removed from, from the birth and, and death and resurrection of Christ, but I would write it in such a way that people that were living in that particular day would have known immediately upon the arrival of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that He was there. I would have written it like that. I would have said, okay, fanfare. God deserves fanfare. God deserves this awe, this, this kind of wildness that, that is there. But God chose to write His story a different way. God chose to write it in such a way that, that every single one of us could identify. It wasn't some, something that was far removed from ordinary folks. It was, it was set in the in such a stage or in such a, an arena that we would understand that this is a God that wants to be among us, not just a God that wants to be among the elite. But he is a God that loves every single person. And so if I were to write the story, I'd probably write it different, but God writes it a certain way. Um, would you stand? We're going to read out of Isaiah to begin with, and you don't have to put it on the screen. We're going to come back to it um, but Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 6, we're just going to read two verses there, and then we're going to get into the, the passage that we need to talk about this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 6, says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Man, that's a title. And there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. On the throne of David, which was a big deal, and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So God has set it in His heart to allow a child to be born and to have the government rest on His shoulders to be in charge. It, it's that picture of Colossians where it says that all things were created by Him and for Him. And so when we read that, we go, okay, God, here's, here's the one who is over it all, and yet you call Him a child, and He will be born to us. What an incredible story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for 
for the record of the birth of Jesus. God, we thank you for the record that, that proclaims not just that he lived and that he was here, but Father, that he came as a baby born in, in somewhat isolation, in obscurity. And at the same time, that you prepared for him through John the Baptist, you prepared a way so that when he came, he would be declared Messiah and then turned on and put on a cross and shed blood and put in a tomb for us. Resurrected to give us hope. And so, Father, I pray that as we walk through some passages this morning, you will remind us that this is your story and that you are the one that receives the glory and the honor and are magnified through this. It's not so much because you want to put the spotlight on us that you sent Jesus, but you wanted to put the spotlight on you and us proclaiming your glory and your majesty. And so, Father, thank you for all that you give us. Father, I pray that you will help us to, to grasp one or two things this morning that would make us a different people following you than we were when we walked in. And so, Father, I pray that the cross would be brought to the forefront and that we'd see your great love for us and we respond in a way that would be just the right way for responding to Almighty God. And so, Father, bless this morning to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we flip over to Luke chapter 1, which is we're going to spend some time there and, and a little bit over in uh, Matthew. Luke chapter 1 will we'll continue in this series called Fear Not. And remember last week we talked about the, some of the impossibilities that surrounded the birth of John the Baptist. He said that, that Elizabeth was barren, her and Zacharias were, were older, and so they'd pretty much maybe given up hope to even having a child. And, and then Zacharias is given the privilege of being the incense burner in the temple, and while he's in there doing his duty as a priest, an angel appears to him and says, "We have, I've heard your prayer, or God has heard your prayer, and he's giving you a son. And you're going to call his name John, which means God is a gracious giver. You're going to call him that, and then he says, how do I know? I don't, I don't get this. And, and so he, there's a little bit of a lack of faith on his part, and so he says, well, you won't talk. You won't talk till later. And so he comes out, does New Testament charades, trying to get this message across. And, and as they're going throughout this, we learn that, that Elizabeth becomes with child. And there is going to be a son given to her and Zacharias. And so in verse 57 says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. And so, so this, this whole thing takes place. And in the middle of this, Mary comes and visits and, and hangs out with Elizabeth for a while. But the time has come for Elizabeth to give birth. She gives birth to a son. He's, we know his name's going to be John, but he's not named at this point. 
And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. You say, well, there's not much there except for the fact that God had displayed His great mercy. Isn't it good when God displays something? When we think about God, we have to think about the, the idea that when people see God for who He is, when they see Him accurately, there is this sense of awe that takes place. Hey, when, when God shows up in a place where you know, the, the front of the church is flooded with people because they're accepting Christ or they're coming and they're repenting of their sin, they're confessing and crying and all those kind of things. It's this glimpse of God that we see that we step back and we say, ah, oh, I, I see God. I see God in this place. And I feel His Spirit work. And there's this sense of awe and wonder. And when we look at that, we have to say, God, if we could see that, and then understand that that is just a glimpse of all that you are. That's just a small piece of it. And so when this verse says, her neighbors and her relatives heard the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, it was not a complete picture of God. It was a piece of what God does that just brought a sense of awe and wonder to the situation. We look at God and He's magnified. It is um, is by no means all of him. We see just a piece, just a portion. And we see it regularly if our eyes are opened. I don't know if you looked around when you came in this morning, but as I was coming down Ebenezer Church Road down here, I just kind of looked around and the, the trees, some of them were a little bit of white on them. Um, it was glistening. There was a little bit of ice. And so the, the sun was just shining off of them. And, and the sky was really blue right behind that. And it was just kind of one of those glimpses, those pictures where you say, you know, obviously God's handiwork is magnificent. And this is just a little bit of pe- little itty bitty piece of what God does and is. Just seeing this. He's painted this picture. I don't know about you, but so much of the time when I drive, it's just a matter of getting to where I'm going. Or if I do anything, it's just about arriving. And I forget to look around at the small glimpses of the magnification of God. And here in verse 58, God had put on display His great mercy in the life of Elizabeth and Zacharias. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father, which seemed normal. But God, again, was going to magnify the, the person of John, this child. Uh, I don't know if the, the other day, one of those mornings getting up, and I don't know if you saw the supermoon. Maybe you saw that. I don't know why they called that except for it was big. And, um, and, and it was just kind of more detailed. And so when we go through this, what we're going to see is we're going to see this this reflection of God in, in this person and this reflection of God through this story. And it's going to be brighter. Now, we're going to get to the place where we look at John chapter 1 where it says that, that light pierced the darkness. And, and in this, we see this, this beginning preparation taking place. 
And so they came to circumcise the child. They were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. Well, that's kind of weird. Because he wasn't, everybody thought he was going to be a Zacharias. It says, But his mother answered and said, No, indeed. And and essentially that means by no means. And so this is not, probably an accurate way to hear this. Because when she says no indeed, it's not a no indeed or, or no, I don't think so. It is emphatic. In fact, it has the idea of being an intense version, an intensive version of no. He will not. Um, I get really weirded out when I don't get what I expect in, in a glass. You know, I go to a restaurant and I say, I would like Coke or I'd like sweet tea, mostly sweet tea. Uh, but, I, but I get there and then the, the person who's serving us brings this cup and put the straw in, do the thing, take a big old gulp and it's unsweet. It's not good. You're right. It's just not right. There needs to be repentance in that, Right. And this was kind of one of those situations where Zacharias, Elizabeth, and the baby show up, and they go, yeah, we're going to call him Zacharias. And, and she goes, no, no, that's not the name. We're going to call him John. And everybody sits there and goes, I don't get it. There's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And so they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. So what they did is they said, oh, we hear you, Elizabeth. However, let's go check with dad. Hey, dad, what do you want him to be called? And so without, you know, and I'm sure he got pretty proficient in sign language by this point, but he asked for this. He says, it says that they made signs to his father as to what he, was, to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. So he didn't want any, there to be any mistake, no mess up with the sign language, no interpretation issues. He says he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all, all astonished because it was out of the norm. It was not what, what everybody expected to happen. When, when Becca was born, they asked us, what do you want her to be called? So we Rebecca, it's good. And so they, they took that, and Deb wrote down her name. And she spelled it out. Maybe a little on drugs when she did it. But, but she spelled it out, and it was R-E-B-E-C-C-A. And we had talked during, during the pregnancy that we were going to name her Rebecca, but we were going to spell it K-A-H. And when it came down to it, she was handed the tablet. And she wrote down this. And so she, she got stuck with that. And she's okay with it. We know where it came from. But what John does is he clarifies it. He says, no, you may have wanted to write it, Zacharias, but God says, name him John. And so they name him John. And in verse 64, it says, at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak the praise of God. So why would Zacharias and Elizabeth name the child John? One, they had been directed 
to name the child John. They were told by the angel his name will be John because that means God is a gracious giver. And because they understood the direction from God and they were not willing to sway anywhere, they named him John. When we are uncertain about following God's directive, we get swayed by everything that comes comes our way. We can get swayed by popular thought. We can get swayed by political correctness. All those kind of things. But to be sure of what God asks you to do means there is no sway. So that's the first thing in your outline this morning is when we fear not, it means because we've listened to the directive of God, there is no sway. So that's the first thing. And so Zacharias and Elizabeth understood that God had given them this directive And he began to speak the praises of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. Now that word, that that phrase talked about, is an interesting phrase. You know what it means in the Greek? This is is really, really intense. It means to talk about. They talked about. It doesn't even mean that they murmured or they whispered or they gossiped. They just out loud talked about what God had done and what God was doing. I mean, it was pretty cool. They Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about. So God was in the middle of writing his story, and as he's writing the story, John comes along, and people start talking about this baby that's been born to this older couple. And they begin to say, what is going to happen with this child? Something miraculous is going to happen. All who heard them kept them in mind and said, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. When you think about your life, is God's hand on you. What does God want to use you for? In John's life, we know because we have, a, we have this record of how God is going to use John to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. But God has his hand on us. I don't think God calls us to himself and says, well, I've got you. It's good. They show up for church, come to Sunday school, come to Wednesday night, whatever. Go to connect group, do all those kind of things, and I'm just going to take my hand off and it's all good. I think God chooses us and uses us to affect some part of his story. Whether it's reaching somebody at work, reaching somebody at the marketplace, whatever it happens to be. We had a a very short conversation with a guy the other day. We came back from Lynchburg. We'd been up there for the day seeing Becca, came back, and we stopped into a grocery store, and there there was an older fella who was, who was making some little bread and jelly and, and butter and stuff like that down at Food Line. And we just got in a very short conversation. And, and just in having that conversation, it just kind of opened the door for us to talk about part of our story. And so he offered something. It was a little bit odd. Gave Deb some, some I don't know, was it apple juice or something? Anyways, gave her that, and, and he was making a joke, and I said, you can't offer that to me. I'm, I'm a pastor. Well, he was, you know, he was making a joke about what he was offering. He said, I, I put some rum in there. 
<laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, and I know he didn't. He, he can't do that. But it opened this, this conversation up between he and I, and he had been a pastor. And God had brought him to this area several years ago. And so we had this little conversation about, about God and leadership. And it was really, really short. And I hope to see him at some point. But, but when, you, when you think about that, just how will God use you? And we could go around the room and say, this week, this is what God did in my life. This, is, this week, this is how God used me in a particular situation. Don't miss the glimpses of God's story in your life. Those are important. So all who heard them kept, kept in mind, what will this church, child turn out to be? Well, Zacharias could praise God for a long-awaited child, a child of promise, and the, the opportunity to be an incense burner. But of all the things that Zacharias could have praised God about, the, the one that's coming is the one that, that he's really excited about. It's the birth of this, this whole idea that John is a preparer for the Messiah. There's one thing that Zacharias does is he elevates not just his son to a certain degree, but he elevates the idea that God is providing salvation through a Messiah, and he's coming. And so look what it says in verse 67. It says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, now this is going to be this is going to be so cool because he's going to he's going to start talking about it and he's going to start mixing up his tenses in this. It says, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people." Has it happened yet? Has Jesus been to the cross yet? As of this point in time for Zacharias, not really. The Messiah hasn't even been born yet. However, in Zacharias' mind, understanding that God was a God who completes what he starts, that in, in, for all intents and purposes, what God had promised had already been accomplished. That God was sending his son to come and go to Calvary on our behalf. And so when Zechariah says this, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. It was a an accomplishment based on faith. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. So Zacharias is is declaring what God has already accomplished for the people and for us. God offers salvation by His might because He's strong enough. And He offers salvation by His mercy because He's kind enough. We have a God that's able to do that where we are not. If you don't hear anything else, understand you cannot accomplish salvation. You don't gain eternal life. You can't bring yourself to the place where you're good enough to go before a holy God and stand. 
You're only good enough to go before a holy God because you're covered in the blood of Christ. Now, I know that sounds a little bit weird if you're not part of church on a regular basis, but essentially, you fall under the covenant that God has established through His Son. And because of that, you can go before a holy God with the confidence that comes through that sacrifice of Jesus and the forgiveness that is offered through Him. Salvation is by His might, by His mercy. It's not ours to to attain, it's ours to receive. And then it says in verse 74, it says, To grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. That's a pretty pretty bold statement for Zacharias. He says, to to grant us this, this mercy, this promise has been given us to grant us that we be rescued from something. And, and for them, when they look at it and we start thinking about their enemies, physically, they considered Roman enemies. So, so they're looking forward to what we read about out of Isaiah, where the government will rest upon his shoulders and, and those kind of things. So they look at the Messiah as coming in power and might, this political force that's going to that's gonna penetrate life in Israel. And so they look at it and say, I'll be rescued from our enemies. The physical part of that is we're rescued from Rome. But he says that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all, all our days is that we also get rescued spiritually from Satan. So there is a physical and a spiritual element to this rescuing that we're saved from. But we're also saved to something. We're saved to serve, that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. We are rescued or saved for service in love and a life that is full of grace and mercy. That's what we're saved to. And so when we look at this, we say, okay, God, it's not just about getting us to the place where we're accepted in your presence. It's about using your people to serve and to love those around us. It is more difficult and easier, all at the same time, this time of year, to do this. It is more difficult because people push and shove and try and get to the sales table before you. It's more difficult because everybody's in a hurry and there's no parking spots. It's more difficult because you're hanging out with family that knows you best and can cut loose around a table where you're arguing and fussing because even though you may not have seen them for a while. And then you have political stuff that comes up. So it's a hard time to live out mercy and love. And at the same time, This is that time of year where we look to a Savior who's been born in a manger and we say, God, help me to understand your love for me and help me to show that to others. And so when we walk into a store, there's a Salvation Army kettle sitting there and we are more willing to take something out of our pocket and put it in this time of year than any other time of year. It's, It's where we're more willing to buy something for somebody else for like the Yates Baptist Association toy store and put it back here in the foyer where we, we'd leave that space empty if it wasn't for this time of year. 
we give to Lottie Moon for the Christmas offering. And we say, we want to support missionaries around the world. We'll give there. There's all kinds of different ways that, that we become loving and more giving this time of year. So we have this tension that builds in our life when, we, when we're in the middle of that, understanding how we're supposed to live out the service in whole, without fear and holiness and righteousness before him. Zacharias is claiming that we can. And then he starts talking about the child. So he's gone from this service and love, this, this whole idea of kind of what we've talked about in our mission statement to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. He's gone from that kind of idea to this, and you, child, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. So he's a preparer. And to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sin. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which sunrise from on high will visit us. Man, what an incredible place to be. And for Zacharias and Elizabeth to have this understanding that they get to take this baby that they can hold in their arms and this child this one right here, this one is going to be the one that's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. What kind of weight is that on the shoulder of, a, of Zacharias and Elizabeth? Man, we got to keep this child safe. We better put all kinds of protection around him. It's time to call God's secret service together and just kind of surround this child. He understands that God has a plan that there is no need to fear in the middle of this because God has something in mind. So he proclaims that. And then he says in verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's John's job. John's job is to, is to shine a light on the one who is the light. His job is to prepare the way before the Messiah so that when the Messiah shows up, people understand it's the Messiah. Look at, look at John chapter 1, the very beginning of, of the Gospel of John. It says in verse 4, it says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then it starts talking about John. It says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And so John's job was to, to point to Jesus, to be that witness for Christ, to be that witness of a Messiah. And then in verse 12, it talks about what's going to happen about Jesus and this, the, a people that would respond to him. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That is us. That is all who 
who say, God, I want to receive you by faith. I want to receive the forgiveness that's available through Christ. That's us. But as many who receive him, to them he gave the privilege to become or be called children of God. We have to understand that not only is there no sway when we understand God's directive, but salvation is possible. Every year about this time, and you can watch it probably 30 times during this season, you can watch the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And it's on all the time. Now, I like watching that movie. There are other movies like Christmas Story that will come on. Many of you like that. I don't know. It's, it's something about shooting my eye out with a BB. I just can't stand to watch it. Um, so you've got, you've got that story. I, I, like watching, I like watching those. I like watching um, The Grinch. It's, it's one of my favorite movies, but, but not as much, not, not so much the newer version as the, the old cartoon. And just watching that. And, you know, the, the whole thing is, why do you want to be Grinch? I've got to understand, I, I want to be Grinch like at the end of the story, not the beginning. Because somewhere in the middle of that, there's this sense of hopelessness. There was a sense of hopelessness, and we talked about it last night after watching It's Wonderful Life, a whole idea of hopelessness and fear. What's going to happen? And I don't see a way out. And it led to, to that whole story in that. There was hopelessness and fear, and it led to panic. And so what we see in this passage is we see this whole break away from hopelessness and fear to the understanding of God is in charge, fear not. So not only can we trust God and, and operate where there's no sway, but we can trust God knowing that he provides salvation. Salvation is possible. Over in Matthew chapter 1, we have a, a parallel section of Scripture. There's an overlap here between Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1 because we know that Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary went and visited. Then John gets born, obviously, about three months later. And so Mary's about three months pregnant when, when John is born. And then we get over to Matthew chapter 1 and we learn about what takes place. And, and starting at verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. I want to stop right there because Matthew is making a, a declaration, a doctrinal statement that is really important to us. And we have one of our, one of our statements of faith is that, that Jesus was born of a virgin. And we hold on to that because it makes all the difference in the world. Because we understand that to be born of a virgin means that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It is different than a physical joining of two people that have a child. This child was to be special. He didn't have the sin nature, the, the Adamic sin nature that we would see if somebody was born from a, a human father. And so when it says this, he's making a doctrinal statement. And at the same time, he's declaring a little bit about Mary's character and Mary's commitment. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was followed when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. She was already committed 
to him. And before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And so we learn that Mary is committed, but we also learn about her condition, that she was a virgin and pregnant, or going to be pregnant. And then it talked about her credibility, that she was going to be reliant on Joseph. And so verse 19 says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. And basically what he was doing is, he, is his thought process was, this is not good. I don't understand it. Therefore, I'm going to put her away secretly or dismiss her from the commitment. She will no longer have the responsibility of being my wife. She will no longer have that part of my household. She'll be free from any claim. And then we walk to the next verse and we, and we just kind of declare a but God thing. It's one of those situations. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And so Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Again, we have this visit from an angel to speak into the life of people who were open to hearing God's story, who were open to hearing what God wanted to do with them. And he awoke and did as the angel commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to his son. And he called his name Jesus. Salvation. What could Joseph have done? Joseph could have put her away. He could have put her away secretly. He could have put her away publicly, which would have been ridicule. And there's a lot of possibility in Joseph's life as to what could have happened. It could have really just messed him up. So, so he could have feared taking Mary as his wife. He could have feared this child that was being born. He could have feared following through. He could have feared what others might say, just as Zacharias and Elizabeth could have done that. He could have feared for his reputation. Because the reputation will go well beyond this particular point in time. Joseph was going to have to live with this decision, whatever it was. But God had a plan. You see... We look at this and we say, in very similar fashion, Hosea is given those same, the same kind of situation. Now, it's different in that the personalities are different and the situation's different, but God is redeeming and expressing His love and His redemption through two individuals. If we go back to Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, it says, and you don't have to turn there, just listen real closely. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Basically, they're after themselves. They're after whatever satisfies them. 
God told Hosea with respect to his wife who was an adulteress, you go love her. You go love her again, even though she is an adulteress. And what, what Joseph could have done, he could have said, as I understand it, apart from the angel's visit, you are an adulteress. You, you've somehow gotten pregnant. And I can put you away. But God is displaying his love. And so he reminds us in Hosea chapter, chapter 11, verse 7, So my people are bent on turning from me, though they call, call them to the one on high. None at all exalts him or God. And then in the last part of verse 8 says, My heart is turned over within me. All of my compassions are kindled. Do we understand that the compassion of God that is kindled toward the nation of Israel is the same compassion that is expressed to us in the giving of Messiah, the giving of His Son on our behalf so that we could receive the mercy of God? We only get the mercy because God is merciful. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We're not at that place where we can say, this is what I get. This is what I deserve. I ought to get this. The reality is, whether it's your house, your job, your car, your position, all those kind of things, you deserve none of it. Just like I don't deserve any of it. What I deserve and what you deserve is the wrath of God because of sin. And only by the blood of Christ are we pulled out of, the, out of that wrath and given life. God reminds Joseph of his plan. And this story that continues in this part where Matthew's writing this and talking about Mary and Joseph and the and the promise of the Messiah is just a continuation of what began in the Garden of Eden and will conclude in the book of Revelation. Where God is exalted as the one who is holy and just. God has a plan. It's a story of God with us. And so when we look at this passage and understand what God is doing in the life of Mary and Joseph, it is something that he reminds us of what he's done for us. And that we can not, not be swayed because of God's, God's determination to accomplish his will and understand that salvation is possible, but also understand that we need to think eternal. It's not just about here and now. It's about what God's doing in us eternally. And so God is faithful to complete what his, he has begun. He's faithful to complete what he's begun in you. Philippians 1.6, For I'm confident of this very thing, that you began a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is not done with you. Just like God was not done with Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, God was accomplishing what he wanted to. God protects those he calls. He has sealed us with the promise of His Holy Spirit. He's magnified when we are obedient. Galatians 6.14, it's pretty interesting when Paul writes that, and we talked about it Wednesday night, where it says that essentially the, the paraphrase of this is, I don't want to receive any glory, I want all glory to go to God. 
Because when I receive glory, I take it away from him. And so our life of obedience, where we're set on what God has called us to do and to be, our life brings glory to him. So God is magnified when we are obedient, just like Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph. They were obedient because they understood God was writing his story through them at that time. So the question is, if God is up to something in our lives, God's doing something and we're part of that story, where do we need to step out in faith? Where do we need to say, God, I trust you? Is it in giving? Maybe. Is it in talking to somebody we work with? That's a possibility. Is it in talking to somebody at school? Could be. Is it in going across this sanctuary and saying, I need forgiveness or I want to offer forgiveness? Maybe it's there. But where do we need to step out in faith Understand that God is up to something and he wants to use us in our obedience to bring him glory. The last piece of this, as we look at the, both of these stories put together, is we understand not only is God up to something, but we have to be willing to preserve our relationship with him. And it sounds strange because God is the the, the holder of that relationship, and he doesn't let us go. But there are times in our life where we decide that we're going to be disobedient, we walk away from him, and, and we no longer preserve that. In fact, we get swayed by something. And, and in that, we don't preserve that relationship. We kind of mess up the fellowship. And so maybe today, it's about preservation of the relationship. It's about coming to the front or confessing where you're at, that God, understand that you're calling me out to be obedient to you so that you can receive glory through my life. Maybe that's what has to happen this morning. And so the last piece is that if we're going to fear not, we have to press on. We have to be that people that says, God, you're in control, and I trust you. So would you pray with me? Father, it is too easy to take shortcuts. God, so much of the time we take that way instead of taking the way that you lay out. It would have been easy for Zacharias to put away Elizabeth because she wasn't able to bear a son to a priest. It would have been easy for Elizabeth to say, it's okay to call him Zacharias, because that's a family name. And it would have been easy for Mary to say, uh, not me, I don't want that. Or Joseph to put her away secretly, not to cause any pain to Mary, but also to preserve his reputation. But they each chose to trust you and what you called them to do. And so, Father, maybe for us this morning, you've called somebody out. You've said, will you trust me? 
And will you be obedient to me? Father, it may mean somebody comes to the, to the front and prays or prays where they're at or goes across the room. Whatever that obedience looks like, understanding that as you write the story, not just for the ones that we read about in Scripture, but you write the story with us in the middle of it, that you want to accomplish something so that people will stand in awe of a God of mercy and grace. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to do what you've called us to do. God, there may be somebody in here that has never accepted Christ as their Savior. God, I pray that they would understand that they can't save themselves, but they have to trust you. And so, Father, I pray that you give them the courage to, to come and ask the question, how can I be saved? Father, you accomplish what you need to in this group. This morning, for your glory, so you're magnified, regardless of what they may say, what anyone may say. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what God's up to in your life. But I know he's up, to, he's up to working. He's not idle. And so would you stand? And if God's calling you to come and accept Christ, or God's calling you to come and pray and kneel and, and just say, God, I want to be obedient to you, you come and do that. But don't put off what God may want to do in and through you this morning. Be obedient to him. To this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10:30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.